Welcome to the Way Community Podcast. Here you'll find various teachings and messages from within our community and also from guest speakers. If you're interested in finding out more about us, visit our website, the-way.com.au. We pray that this episode edifies you. The third thing, so first of all, Paul points out that Christ's return guarantees the believer's resurrection. The second thing is that we get a similar body. The third thing is that it is a new body. It's not the same tired old one. It is something new. It is glorified. This raised body, which is characterized by the spirit, will be immortal and incorruptible, which is what we've seen in in what we've read. So these are the three key um, points that we get out of this scripture. Now let's go and have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 to 4. This passage contrasts our earthly house with the house not made with hands in heavens, right? So this, this body he refers to, it's a house. This, what you're looking at and listening to right now is not, is not the real me. The real me is inside this house. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that this earthly tent we live in is taken down. That is, when we die and leave this earthly body. We will have a house in heaven, an eternal body, made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on our heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up in life. I mean, doesn't it sound good? So you guys in your 20-somethings might be going, oh, I don't know what you're whinging about. But, you know, as, as this tent gets a few more Ks on it, you, you start to get the picture of the groaning and the sighing. And uh, it, it's a wonderful, wonderful promise. You know, if you have ever been with... with um, aged believers it's just wonderful um, Terry I was uh, I visited Valcon two weeks before she died and and you know I said how, how are you going and she said oh Todd I'm just I'm so tired I long, I love it. I long to put on my new body. Isn't, isn't that wonderful? She was 80-something. She's lying in her bed. 
And, and she said, I long to put on my new body. And then she says, but there's a nurse that I've been sharing the gospel with and I don't want to go just yet because I wanted to find Jesus. Isn't, oh boy, cracks me up. Isn't that wonderful? What a way to, to step into, into glory. She said to me, oh, do you think you'll get to see me again before I go? I said, I, I don't know. I hope to. But of course, I didn't get to. But we, we were just talking about the day when we're reunited. She, you know, she said, I will come to greet you. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't that wonderful to think that there are, there are those that, that love you, that have gone before, that, that are going to be there to greet you when you step through that veil into eternity. Oh, Sorry. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think of, yeah, I think of all those uh, dear old saints that they sat in the sixth row back from the front, the whole, the, the grey hair brigade. And uh, they watched and prayed for so many of us young ones. And to think that they've been watching the journey and the day will come. I, I, I wonder how it works. You know, do, do you get a phone call or, you know, does an angel come and say, oh, did you know such and such and so-and-so is coming home today? Or, I don't know how it works, but so many people who have had near-death experiences and have stepped into heaven have said that there's like this, there's this greeting committee, all these people that, that know you and that you know that come to meet you. When, like, it's like it's like the airport. You know, you get off the plane, you walk through the doors and all the family and friends are, are waiting to meet you. It's, see, we've got this picture, this fear of death and, and, and this worry about what's on the other side. For you as a believer, what's on the other side is stepping through a curtain where the, where the pain and the anguish and the hurt and all, all the garbage that you've been carrying around in your soul in a moment dissipates and you step through the doors into the airport of heaven to be surrounded by family and friends and loved ones and there's no more tears, there's no more pain, there's just, and, and, it, and they say that, you know, there's, um, I, I haven't done a 1970s song yet, have I? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full. And you've got to think about this, right? Look full in his wonderful face. What's going to happen when you step into eternity and you're taken to meet Jesus? Like, do you, really, do you think you're going to remember and be yearning for the people that you've left behind? It's going to be like, this will be like a dream. And from that perspective, they'll be just be going, oh, well, they'll be along in a minute anyway, right? You know, like, Terry, you think about your dad, right? He walks in and he's just going, well, Terry's just coming. 
Oh, she'll be along in a moment. For, from their perspective, that's what it's like. You know, when you step into eternity and you realise just how small all this is. And, and the great joy. You know, some people get real upset that... Yeah, Brit's like, what time was that? I'll mark that to take that out. What was I saying? Sorry? Yeah, people get so upset about those that step into eternity, believers, and oh, you know, we prayed and prayed for them to be raised from the dead, and they didn't get raised from. They don't want to be raised from the dead. They've stepped in everything that they're hoping for and believing for. Right, to get raised from the dead means to come back to all this pain and trauma and trouble. For goodness sake, if they love Jesus, let them go and get their reward. Right, we, don't, we don't need to, to, to you know, weep and mourn for, for the, those. You know, we, when we cry for when a believer dies, let's be honest, we're crying for ourselves because we're going to miss them, right? We're not crying for them. They're in the best that they could ever hope for. They've stepped into their reward. Let them go and be happy for them, just like you would if your parents hopped on a ship to go for a cruise. You're happy for them. Enjoy it. We'll see you soon. For us as believers... That's what, that's what death is. It's just a veil. It's a curtain that we step through into the fullness of, of what God had prepared for us. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 13 to 18. If you... If you don't know that this is one of my all-time favourite scriptures, then you do not know me. <laughs> Paul speaks of the certainty of the resurrection of the dead in this passage. Now, and I want you to hear this, right? This is one of the first letters that Paul wrote. It was one of the first churches in the Gentile world. And they were brand new believers when Paul wrote this letter to them. Am I doing a good enough job of painting this out? Right, these, these are brand new baby believers. And Paul wants to write to them and encourage them about what he talked to them about when he came through and visited them. Chapter 4, verse 13, 1 Thessalonians. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Can you hear it? Can you hear who he's writing to? He's writing to young believers. Now, I want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. You can hear him. He's almost, 
I, I don't mean it in a bad way, but you can hear the sagely wisdom of this spiritual father as he speaks down to his spiritual children, yeah? For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with a voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. It's like he's telling a bedtime story, isn't it? First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. What a bedtime story. Can you, can you imagine being these young believers <laughs> reading this for the first time? What are you, how are you going to respond? Woo! Right? What... What I, I mean, Paul's expectation is that we live with an eager, an eager expectation that this could happen at any moment. That one day, well, you know, maybe, maybe Luke's going to be sitting at his computer drawing drainage channels. <laughs> Dan's, you know, driving past Karlsruhe <laughs> on the way back from Melbourne. Brit's in the middle of a phone call to, to some, some medical centre in New South Wales somewhere. Grace is helping someone pick some spectacles. <laughs> then all of a sudden, they hear do 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 do. Come up here, because people go. What's the commanding shout that they're going to hear? I'll give you a hint. Have a look in Revelation. Because John hears a call from an angel and the angel says, come up here. Oh, can you imagine it? Can you imagine you're going about your daily business? Then all of a sudden, there's this massive trumpet sound and the, and, and the, the voice of the archangel the archangel, Michael, the warrior, whose name means he who seems like God. 
That's what the name Michael means. The other angels look at, look at Michael and go, that guy's like God. It's going to be his voice that commands out across the whole earth. Come up here. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ are going to rise. The graves are going to open. The, think about it. It won't just be the graves. You know who's, you know who's going to be in this? You know whose body is going to be getting raised up? Stephen, who got stoned. Right? Where's his body now? It's dust. Right? His DNA is probably halfway across the cosmos by now, for all we know. But there is a promise that what got sowed in corruption is going to be raised incorruptible. Stephen's body is going to come up. Polycarp, who they burned at the stake. As, he, as they, they put him on, on the stake, the whole crowd heard the voice of God or an angel say, be the man, Polycarp. Like, face up to it. Be the man. And he stood there and as the flames licked around him, he would not burn. So a, a Roman guard grabbed a pike and had to run him through. Where's his body now? It's just dust. But Polycarp's body is going to be raised up incorruptible. Right throughout all of history, people from the ancient times, people from the dark ages, they're people from all the nations of the earth, Papua New Guineans and Indonesians, Indians, people, people from Ethiopia, the Ethiopian eunuch who went back baptized to, to work for the, the queen of Ethiopia. Who knows how many more he led to the Lord, all of those Ethiopians. Uh, their, their bodies are going to be raised and they're all coming back with Jesus. And together, we're going to, we are going to be lifted up in our bodies and in a moment, we're going to be changed, transformed. Why don't we preach on this more often? But this, this is wonderful. Now, we're going to change direction as we, we come to the close of this. I want, a lot of people, when they read about the resurrection, they think that it's one event that just happens and everybody's part of it. And I want to show you that that is not the case. There's been resurrections going on all over the place and there's still more to come. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4 to 6. Now, I want you to be really, really careful about what we're reading here. 
all right? You, you, particularly when you read these kinds of scriptures, you need to read critically. And what I mean by that is you need to be paying particular attention to what you are being told, okay? So let's have a read of this scripture together. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4 to 6. This is, of course, John. Then I saw thrones, and people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. Now, who are these people? We're told that there are people sitting on thrones. Who are they? And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony. Oh, so we might, we might be talking about the people, you know, like George Whitfield and guys like that who got their head cut off for wanting to read the scripture. Yeah? It might be then. Let's read on. They'd been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue. Oh, okay. That's a different piece of information. Nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. So now we've got three descriptors. They came to life again and they reigned with Christ a thousand years. Who came to life and raised, reigned with Christ for a thousand years? Tell me. Tell me who they are. They are people who had been beheaded for their testimony, had not worshipped the beast or his statue, and had not accepted the mark of the beast on their foreheads or their hands. They got raised to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So is that you? No. No. Well, what about what about your grandfather who's died? Is that him? No. No. It's very specific about who gets raised to life and sits on these thrones. Let's read on. Verse 5. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. Now, what I want you to see is that we've got a problem here because it says this is the first resurrection. But it gave a description of a group of people that you and I do not qualify for. So we've got a problem here. Now, whenever you hit something like this, I, I, have, I have a belief that if ever you hit something that doesn't fit into your perspective on end times, you need to tear the whole thing down and start again. Or you need to find out what you're missing in your understanding. Okay? Because 
just to help you with this, people who got beheaded for their testimony and didn't worship the beast and its statue and didn't take the mark on their forehead on their hands, they are tribulation believers. It's not you and I. The problem that we've got is that we're told that this is the first resurrection. So I want to come back to this, okay? Now, remember that I said that there's four things that help us identify the resurrection. We've talked about direct statements. Now we're just going to quickly have a look at the, um, the symbolic and then predictive prophecy and, of course, the resurrection of Christ. So symbolically, there are verses which symbolically speak of the resurrection of the dead. The first one, God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Remember this? Yet Abraham knew that Isaac had to continue to live on to give Abraham further descendants. Hence, Abraham said in faith to the men with him, stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants, the boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and then we will come right back. Now, what was he supposed to do? He was supposed to sacrifice Isaac. Hebrews eleven nineteen tells us, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. Now, this is not someone's idea. This is what the Bible tells us was going on with Abraham. Abraham reasoned that, Isaac died, that if Isaac died, God would be able to bring him to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. So, although Abraham had been told by God to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice, Abraham knew that Isaac would survive. God had promised Abraham that he would have descendants through Isaac. Now let's have a look at Matthew 12. Has anyone noticed that I have a lot of Bible? I, I really want you guys to see that there is, there is so much that paints this out really clearly. Matthew 12, 38. One day some teachers of the religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want, to, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So Jonah was symbolically, very symbolically, a picture of Jesus. Because when you read clearly, Ben and I have been talking about this, when you read carefully Jonah's story, he tells you he died. So Jonah died and was dead for three days and was raised to life. He wasn't sitting in a whale playing cards. 
or eating kelp. He died and was raised back to life. And if you're not sure about that, go and read Jonah again. Because he actually states, even though I go to the gates of Sheol, a.k.a. I died. Thirdly, predictive prophecy. Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Oh, I love that. Don't you love the way Isaiah very clearly writes himself in? <laughs> Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise, awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Hosea. Here we've got all these prophets prophesying. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will, will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. What's Hosea talking about there? Anyone have an idea? You'll find out in a moment. Luke 14. Verse 13 to 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Isn't that good? Oh, I tell you, working for the Lord, I've got to tell you something. The pay is not good, but the super is out of this world. <laughs> Remember that. Luke 20, 35. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. And in Acts 17... Verses 18, and we're also going to read 31 and 32. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. This is Paul. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with all these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Verse 31. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. So we've got predictive prophecy, we've got symbolism, we've got direct statements, and lastly, of course, we have the sign through Jesus Christ. Although the Bible records examples of God bringing people back to life, Jesus is the first biblical example of one who has ever been raised from the dead 
never to die again. The first. His resurrection was unique. The others, whom the Bible records, were raised to life, true enough, but eventually died again. Okay? We don't still have... Um, oh, I've dropped his name. Martha's brother. Lazarus. We don't still have Lazarus walking around today. Right? Though he was raised to life, he did die again. Jesus said, I, in Revelation 1.18, I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Now I'm going somewhere with this. Remember we, we read in Revelation, this is the first resurrection. But here we've got Jesus. He's the first resurrection. So we've got a problem, right? See, there, all of this stuff, it, it can be a bit of a tangled web, but I'm showing how you can untangle this stuff. Acts 26. But God has protected me right up to this present time so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead and in this way announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Hebrews 6, verse 1 and 2. So let us stop going over and over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting of evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction on baptisms, the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead or as another, uh, several other versions put it, and of resurrections. All right? So it's important to note that the resurrection of the body is always linked with, and I'm going to put it in inverted commas, judgment. Before people are judged in the afterlife, they are raised from the dead. Therefore, the resurrection of the dead always happens before judgment because judgment necessitates a resurrection of that person. The scriptures link the two. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching, right, we have instruction about baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and judgment. So anytime you see resurrection, there's judgment. But what about this first resurrection business? A lot of the scriptures we've looked at suggest that the resurrection is a singular event, but it's not. While everyone will be resurrected, not everyone is resurrected at the same time. Now, this is really important. If there's anything that you write down, you need to get these points. Because understanding that there are different resurrections is key to unlocking this stuff. So, Revelation 20, verse 4, we see that it says... 
They reign with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. But we know that Jesus is actually the real first. But then we also had, after Jesus, when he got resurrected, we also had this really unusual little scripture that a lot of people miss, which is in Matthew 27, that says, At noon, darkness fell across the whole land. This is the crucifixion. Until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge of sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so that he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Verse 50. Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rots split apart, and tombs were opened. Now, that is like telling the chronological event. But then, Matthew skips forward three days. And he says, and it's crazy. It's crazy what we're about to read. And the tomb, verse 52, and the tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. Are you hearing this? The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were suddenly raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. It's like, hang on, where's that in the Easter musicals? <laughs> so Jesus dies, the graves open up, there's these people, they're hanging around in the tombs, and then Jesus gets resurrected and they all go out into all the city. Can you... <laughs> hey, Jeroboam. Yeah, Micah. Did you happen to walk past the cemetery last night? No. Well, I did. I suggest you take a walk. Why? I can't explain it. Well, why don't you give it a go? Well, granddad's sitting on his tomb. <laughs> Have you been into the new wine again? I don't know. I'm serious. A few days later, granddad, what are you doing here? Let me tell you about Messiah. I waited my whole life for him. I didn't get to see him. Flip forward to 1 Peter. I'm in the bosom of Abraham. In walks this guy, Jesus. 
And he says, I'm the one you've been waiting for. And I've come to take you from this place into paradise with me. I said, I'm in. So what are you doing here? Well, this is good news. We've been given a chance to come and tell you about it. I mean, <laughs> look, obviously I'm reading between the lines here, but, but this is what it is telling us happened. Now, I don't know about you, but for me that qualifies as a resurrection. A mass resurrection. Jesus gets resurrected. All of these people get resurrected. As it says in 1 Peter, For Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now imprisoned. Remember what those prophets were writing about? You're not going to leave me in Sheol? And Acts 2, Peter speaks that out. He says, for you will not, he's, he's quoting Micah, he says, for you will not leave my soul, um, or no, he's quoting the psalmist, you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. And that's the thing. These people who had died in anticipation, looking for Messiah, have been raised to life and are carried with him into heaven. Because Ephesians 4 tells us, verse 8 to 10, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. Those who had been captive, who had been imprisoned in Sheol, he led them captive, verse 9. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all things so that he might fulfill all things. Isn't that wonderful? So... We have Jesus' resurrection. We have the resurrection of the patriarchal believers. And then there's our resurrection that we read about, the dead in Christ. All right? So it says back in 1 Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 15, uh, verse 16 rather, for first the believers who have died will rise from the graves. So this is not everyone. This event specifies that it takes place exclusively for those who love Jesus. So it's a separate event to everybody else raising, rising up. Okay? So remember it, it said the tribulation saints, that theirs was the first resurrection? but we've just now named three resurrections that have taken place before the inverted commas first resurrection. All right? So where, where are you going with this, Todd? Well, it's, it's important that you get your head around this. Jesus is the real first. Then we had the patriarchal believers. Then we had the dead in Christ. But we're still not done. Because we read in Revelation 
chapter 11, verse 3, that during the tribulation period, chapter 11, verse 3, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will be clothed in burlap and will prophesy during those 1,260 days. Verse 7, when they complete their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit will declare war against them and he will conquer them and kill them and their bodies will lie in the main street of Jerusalem. Verse 10, all the people who belong to this world will gloat over them and give presents to each other to celebrate the death of the two prophets who had tormented them. But after three and a half days, God breathed life into them. They stood up. Terror struck all who were staring at them. Then a loud voice called from heaven, it's well practiced by now, and called to the two prophets, come up here. And they rose to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watched. So we've had Jesus, the patriarchal believers, the dead in Christ, and now the two witnesses. And then we have these tribulation martyrs And we're told that theirs is the first resurrection. Beheaded, not worship the beast, haven't worshipped the statue of the beast, have not taken the mark. This is the first resurrection. So how, if we've had all these other resurrections beforehand, how is it the first? Well, this is going to lead us into what we're going to talk about next next week which is these this is the first resurrection of those who are raised for judgment you see the those that came um, came with Christ when he got raised from the dead the the, the ancients the the um, uh, the, the believers before Christ, those looking for Messiah, they'd already been judged because they'd been to Sheol and they'd been found worthy and had been placed in the bosom of Abraham. They'd already received their judgment. The two witnesses, they have already been judged because they've been sent from heaven by God to the earth there's a, a lot of conjecture about who they might be. They're most likely Moses and Elijah. Just because when you look at the deeds that they perform, it looks like Moses and Elijah. Um, so they've already been judged. And these tribulation saints, they too have been judged. They have died, they've lost their head, they've been judged here on the earth and now are coming to the place where they get to judge. There's another judgment coming. The thing that I, you, you go though, if you've been following through the list, is you go, but what about us, Todd? When do we get judged? Well, here's the good news, people. And this is what I'm going to show you next week. You don't get judged because there's already been someone who got judged for you. This is a judgment-free zone. 
Isn't that good? I tell you what, one of the things that people get really scared about is facing God and getting judged for their deeds. Oh, man, I'm going to have to face up to God and and then all of the stuff that I've done in my life is going to get shown on the big screen. Oh, man, you know, Ronald Bonky's going to be watching. (laughs) Todd White and my mum. And they're going to see all of it. I'm ashamed, I'm terrified just thinking about it. Is there anyone who's thought like that? Is there anyone in this room who's thought like that? Yes. Right? Well, I got good news for you, brother. That's not how it works. And I'm, I'm going to show you clearly with scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And next week, we're going to unpack that in detail. Here endeth the lesson. <laughs> so does anybody have uh, any questions? On the new body, yeah. are we recognisable? Or like, is it possible that we are distinctly different um, what we're talking now. Make that to Jesus, where there's like three accounts of people knowing that it's Jesus, but going, you don't look like Jesus, son of a, a fallen, fallen, a Maserat. Very Jewish. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, Mary didn't recognize him. The two guys on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize him. Yep. And yet, at the same time, there are many times where they immediately recognize him. So um, when uh, Thomas sees Jesus for the first time and goes to put his hand into the hand of Jesus because he had said to them, unless I get to do that. So he immediately recognized who he was. Um, So, yeah, because we're talking about a trans-dimensional body. Right? We're talking about a body that exists in the higher dimensions. So the answer is yes and no and yes. Yeah. So you, it tells us in um, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 that, that we will know him as we are known. Yeah. So there, there is going to, there will be a recognition. And I think the fact that Paul goes to great lengths to say that this corruption will put on incorruption, that this mortal will put on immortal, suggests to me that we're probably going to look at each other and go, Luke, you're looking fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I can understand, I can understand being unrecognizable because how much of this is brokenness? You know, now you well, and that's the thing, like you talk to 
um, like Ellie and Ethan had their their dental stuff done, and as we were, uh, Brett learned a lot from the dentists, and they were saying how our our facial structure has changed. See you later. Has changed because of the foods we eat and too much sugar and all this sort of stuff, and, and so our jaw lines are all far more narrow than they're supposed to be, which is why so many people have teeth crowding. It's because it, our DNA is breaking down, right? So we we are not getting better and better. We, it's the opposite to what the evolutionists are saying. You you are breaking down at very DNA level. The the second law of thermodynamics is at work within you at the, the core of your being, okay? So um, how much of what we are looking at here is, is brokenness? What, like, what does the body of Todd look like in perfection? It's probably so great that it's barely, <laughs> that it's, that it's barely recognisable. You hearing what I'm saying? Yeah, what what is it? What what does at the moment we have seen yeah. UV rays, we've got pollution, we've got soil that's stripped of minerals, we've got like centuries of just damage. Um, Adam and Eve would have been magnificent looking. Yeah. So what does the perfect intended blueprint of who you are look like when it's restored? Not just not just restored to hey you know, I look like I'm 22 again, but what's it? What is it when it's restored to what it's supposed to be in perfection? Maybe it is un, Maybe it's barely recognisable because it is so wonderful and so beautiful. Yeah, the first time I heard it was just in a plan that this was the first testimony I heard of going to heaven and coming back, and when he got there, he recognised. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And many, many near-death experiences say that. It's, yes. it's just they can recognise people, but they're, they're spectacular. <laughs> yeah. Even that young boy who got taken up to heaven, I can't remember his name now, but it's been the last 10 or so years. Yeah. You know, he recognised his sister who died before he was born. Yeah. yeah. And this is what I... This is one thing that I had a brother who died at four days old, a year and a half before I was born, and I know I'm going to know again. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. yes. Oh, this is wonderful. You think about parents who have had stillborn children and, um, you know, things like there are... People have got brothers and sisters and sons and daughters and, and there are children waiting to meet their parents and, oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, any other questions? Wow, that mm. I've never seen anything like what I saw in that moment. 
younger in that moment than it had been in the five days that we were looking at this year's past. It was incredible. Yeah. It's a, it's a known thing. Believers have a, a smile when they die that is... Peace. Yeah. There is a peace and joy that, that comes across the face. Other, like, I know somebody who worked in palliative care and they told me that they had seen little old men and ladies literally snap their own limbs in terror as they pass into eternity versus believers who who they have this face the believers death mask yeah it's really interesting any other questions Well, I think that the first scripture that we looked at of Paul's in, in 1 Corinthians 15 does ample work to say it's this. This, what, this is, is the seed, but it's also the, what comes out of it is 